Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. I just want to talk about how good and beautiful Jesus really is um, and share with you the meaning of Easter. And so I think there's a lot of... um, there's a lot of misunderstanding. I think the church has done a terrible job in times in, in the past of representing Jesus well. So I just want to talk about uh, the Jesus that I've come to know. And so I have one point, if you're taking notes. It's simply this. Um, Jesus comes not just to bring you life after death, but to bring you life before death. And what you see in the scriptures over and over again, and somehow we miss this, is that actually Jesus comes not just to give you life after death, but to give you life before death. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And the word full means abundant, full, overflowing with nourishment. And and I want to know, do you have this kind of life? Have you experienced this kind of life in Jesus? Some of us have. We're, ho- we're hollering. I love it over here. Look at this. And so before I get ahead of myself, let's just, let's just jump into the Bible. If you have a Bible, go to Luke chapter 24. We're going to talk about the first Easter Sunday, um, what happened 2,000 years ago. Why do Christians gather for centuries, for millennia around this idea that Jesus lived and died and rose again? I want to look at the first Easter Sunday. You got, I know it's hot. I'm only going to be up here a few minutes, and then we're going to have baptism. Some of you might get baptized again just to cool off. That's cool. Um, It's tempting. Luke chapter 24. If you have a Bible, um, we believe the Bible is inspired by God. It's for life. We want to orient our lives around the scriptures. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have Bibles for you, I think, in the welcome area. We'd love to give you one as our gift. We're going to Luke 24 um, in the New Testament. It's the first Easter Sunday. Let's read what we're celebrating And I want to just show us uh, what's going on and talk about the meaning of Easter. Are you guys with me this morning? I love that the image I have right now of you guys is mostly like this. Like just, (laughs) it's great. Here we go. Uh, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women, because the men were asleep, took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. How many of you sisters know that's an amen? Yeah, okay. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen empty tomb and then the ladies go back and they tell the other guys and they don't believe it it says that the the disciples thought it was nonsense what they were saying and then it goes on and the disciples run to the tomb and Peter looks and he sees that the tomb is empty and then eventually in verse 36 it says this let's go there Luke 36 what are we celebrating while they were still talking about this Jesus himself stood among them and said to them peace be with you they were startled and frightened. They, they were thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, what are you troubled? And why, do you, why, do doubt, why does doubt rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I. Touch me and see for yourself. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as, as you see I have. Then he said this. He showed them his hands and his feet. 
while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked, do you have anything to eat? And then he went on to eat. So what's going on here? Is this a funny story? Well, I, I, if you read the story, it's fascinating. First of all, the women are taking spices to the grave. Spices are for finishing the burial of their dead friend. The disciples watched just a few days earlier, Jesus nailed to a cross where he was crucified and killed. He was buried in a tomb and they had to Sabbath the next day. So they prepared the spices for Sunday morning to finish the burial. The disciples didn't see the resurrection coming. They didn't get it. In the earliest manuscripts that we have in the Bible, what you see is that the, the followers of Jesus are missing the point. They're confused about what's happening. They don't get it. They're competing. There's all sorts of misunderstanding. And then Jesus appears in his midst. And even when he's there in their presence, they still don't believe. And then he says, give me some food. Because apparently the resurrection works up an appetite. But what's going on? If you were making this up, you wouldn't include these details. You wouldn't have women as your first eyewitnesses because women in the first century were seen as marginalized. Their testimonies weren't even allowed in courts in first century Palestine and, and Israel. Why would you include details of confusion, of doubt, of missing the point and nonsense unless it's actually what happened? That these details are important because that's actually what happened in history. What's going on? this Easter morning and what makes Easter so significant to the Christian faith? Well, to understand that, I just need to tell you a quick story about, about where Easter fits in in the context of the story of God. So I'm just gonna tell you the brief story of the scripture. I'm gonna talk about Jesus and then I'm gonna ask you to pray with me. That's it. Are you guys good with that? So in the beginning in Genesis chapter one, it says the very first book of the Bible, God created, in the, God created the heavens and the earth. The very first book of the Bible lets us know that we were not products of randomness and chance, but of divine choice and intelligence. And what that means is that you have way more value than what culture says you're worth or how much money you make or what you look like or what you accomplished. But by being created in the image of God, there is a worth and value, a purpose that God has given you to be his image bearers. That the Bible says that we were designed to flourish as humans. The first chapter of the Bible reveals that we were designed to function fully in this life with abundance. We were to live in perfect loving relationship with God. Perfect loving relationship with each other. Perfect loving relationship with ourselves and all creation. Does that sound like good news? This is how the story begins. The word for this is shalom. Can you say shalom? And it's the Hebrew word. Uh, that we translate to mean peace or wholeness. And this is the idea that everything works. Everything's properly ordered. Our relationships thrive together. Our relationship with God is thriving and everything is in its proper place. And we were designed to flourish forever, forever. And like Andre 3000 says, the great prophet, like, I hope we feel like this forever, 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 ever, forever, ever. <laughs> Uh, if you don't want to go to the garden, that's okay, but you will hear rap songs occasionally. You will hear lots about Star Wars. Real quick, they just came out with the new Star Wars trailer. Are you kidding me? Okay, anyways, back to Easter. But the story goes, 
We were made, we were designed to flourish forever, but did that last? Did shalom last? Is shalom here on earth? No. All we have to do is look out into the world and see that the world did not sustain God's perfection, God's wholeness and peace. We are not functioning fully as humans. There's war going on today. There are millions of people starving in Africa today. There are more slaves today than ever before in human history. There's racism, terrorism, all sorts of hatred. We can look out into the world, into our city, and we could see that this is not the way it was intended to be. And we don't even have to look that far. We can look within ourselves and see that there's something missing. We can see that there's, there's something within us that's longing for something more. There's something that's broken. In my life, I'll, I'll just say, you know, I struggle with lust and anger and greed and envy and jealousy and fits of rage. And, uh, and did I say anger? I'm married. Did I say anger? <laughs> I drive the 405. Did I say anger? Um, and I'm just talking about this last week, by the way. So I, 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 it's not hard to look in our own lives and see that there's all sorts of brokenness. And the problem is that the world actually is offering us a solution to our problems. And this is the story of humanity, that we are promised relief by the world. All we need to do is upgrade our car, upgrade our spouse, upgrade our house. Uh, all we need to do is get more stuff. All we need to do is pursue self-help, yoga, diets, juice fast, workout routines, Dr. Oz or Oprah, or whatever it is, and that will fill the need within you. But none of those things will actually give you the thing that you were created to be. They will never satisfy that deep hunger inside of your life that you and I know that there's got to be a better way to live because deep inside we know I'm not working with fullness and wholeness and abundance. We know when we look out into the world, there's not justice, there's not peace. There are glimpses of it here and there, but our world is broken. We're broken. But this is the story. It begins in perfection. Sin enters into the world. And, and most of us hear that that's where it ends. But what you need to know today, if there's anything I can convince you of, it's just one little simple fact that God, out of his nature and character, pursued us with everything he had. The story of the Bible is God's relentless, furious pursuit for you to know who you were created to be, to live in perfect, loving relationship with him so that you can live in perfect, loving relationship with everyone else in all creation. God didn't leave the story of the whole Old Testament. The story of the New Testament is God's pursuit of us. We're not searching for God. God's pursuing us. And so you read all of the Old Testament is this great narrative of God's loving pursuit of us. And it all comes to a point in history. The culmination of all of this is found in the life, message, and mission of Jesus. That Jesus comes in ordinary time and place as the revelation of God. Jesus slips into the world in ordinary time and place as a way to reveal to the world what God is like and what life is designed to look like. Great, my iPad says temperature, it's too hot, needs to cool down. Great. So there goes the notes. That's hilarious. It's okay. It's okay. We'll trust Jesus. That's hilarious. 
the disciples didn't see the resurrection coming. I didn't see that coming. So Jesus slips into the world in ordinary time and place, bringing God's way of life to all people. He comes as the light of God. He comes as the life of God into ordinary, and he fascinates people. People in the scriptures are fascinated by the presence of Jesus. They do anything to get to him. They rip up roofs to get near him. They trample on each other. They, they will break religious traditions just to touch him. Over and over again, people want to be near Jesus for the life that he offers them. Every encounter in the scriptures that you see, Jesus brings a new way of life to somebody in that moment, here and now. Every encounter in the gospel, every moment in the gospel where Jesus is confronted with a person, he offers a new way of life for that person and it reveals what God is like in that moment. And for some reason, We've missed this Jesus, haven't we? And maybe this is just my perspective. Been a part of the church for a while now. But in most of my experience as a pastor, I'm trying to reteach Jesus to Christians because they're worshiping the wrong Jesus. Not, not a, you know, some false God, but a Jesus that's been made in their image and past. Some of us don't have experience with God. We don't even believe in God. And that's, that's where we find ourselves. But a lot of us carry a distorted view of God. Some of us think that God's uninterested in us. He's distant. He's far away. God's like an absentee landlord. Just pay your taxes or your tithes in that moment and you'll be fine. Just leave him alone. He's leaving you alone. Some of you see God as the God on demand, right? He's the vending machine God. When you need the, the job, you need to the girlfriend or the spouse, you'll, you'll put in the tokens to hopefully get the outcome that you want. God on demand. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of us do. Some of you see God as the cosmic traffic cop, or as I like to call him, the angry judge, right? The God that's just waiting to punish you when you make a mistake. Or mine is the disappointed father. Somehow I've developed this view that God's this, this disappointed father and I have to live my life in such a way to prove my value and worth to him. And somehow then I can receive his love. Can any of us relate to these views? It seems like we carry these perspectives, but what you see in the scripture is Jesus reveal a completely different kind of God, a different way of life. I got theme music up here. Thank you, bro. Um, it's all good. What Jesus brings is a new way of life and a new perspective of God. I, I'm so fascinated by Jesus. When, when he preaches his first sermon in a context where it's all about the religious folks, where to be favored or blessed by God, you have to have your life in order. You have to have the, climb the spiritual ladder of success. Everything has to work. You have to be enlightened with knowledge. Jesus comes into that culture and he says in his first sermon, listen to this, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit for they will inherit the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs. What is that? That translates in our context, God favors the spiritual bankrupt, the spiritually broken, the clueless, those that will never in a million years get their act together, the spiritually burnt out, the spiritually exhausted. God's favor and blessing is available and on you where you are and as you are. To the religious, it was a slap in the face. 
He could, and that's how he starts. He starts his sermon. He starts with an announcement that says, the God that I worship and reveal allows you to come to him as you are and not as you should be. And in fact, you don't have to do anything except turn and open up your hands and let his blessing and favor rest on your life. Every encounter, every sermon that you see in the scriptures in the New Testament about Jesus's life reveals a truth about this life here and now, meaningful life and what God's really like. And Jesus wasn't just preaching about it. He was demonstrating it with his entire life. It says in John's gospel, Jesus was on his way through Samaria to another part of the country to proclaim the kingdom. And at that time, the Jews never connected or talked to the Samaritans. They hated each other. They were so divided. It wasn't just a hatred. It was, a, it, it was rooted in religious hatred. It was rooted in, in ethnic hatred. There was racism. Uh, the Jews believed that the Samaritans were religious heretics. The Jews believed that they were immoral. They were idolaters. They hated, there was civil war in their history. And, and so as a religious leader, you would never in a million years talk to a Samaritan if you were a Jew, let alone a woman for that case. But it says Jesus actually goes through Samaria and it says he sits at a well and he sits down. And a woman comes to him at noon, which means it was in the heat of the day, much like this, right? So just you're there. Close your eyes. You're there. Not the VIP. God bless you guys. You'll have to just imagine the heat in all of its glory. And this woman, come to find out, she has five husbands at one point. She was a Samaritan. She was isolated from community. She was kicked out by her own village. And just imagine, what do you think that this Jewish leader, the Messiah, this holy one of God, what would he say to this sexually immoral, spiritual idolater, this corrupt individual? How would he come in his superiority? How does he come and rebuke her with love in truth? He sits down next to her and he says, can I have some water? You see, Jesus comes to her in vulnerability. He comes to her in weakness. He comes to her in humility. And in that humility, in that weakness, in that vulnerability, he offers her life. He reveals to the woman, he's the Messiah, the Savior that everyone wants to know about. And he invites her to know him and believe it doesn't matter what she's done or where she's been or all the sin in her life. He just says, come and see for yourself that I'm water for the thirsty, not wine for the connoisseur. Every encounter that Jesus has, he reveals a little bit more of what God's like, a little bit more of what life is intended to be in the first place. There's a story of a leper in the first century in Mark chapter one, where the leper comes to Jesus and he falls to his knees and he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And leprosy in the first century was a death sentence. It meant that you were spiritually excommunicated and relationally isolated. You were kicked out of the walls of Jerusalem into a neighborhood outside of the safety of the, the walls. You were uh, excommunicated from worship. You couldn't offer your sacrifices to God. The, the condition and disease of leprosy was seen as a, as a sin and a divine punishment from God. 
you couldn't be with your family, you couldn't have meals with anyone in your, uh, in your community because of fear of contaminating or touching the rest of the community. To be marked unclean was to be kicked out. And this man breaks all the taboos. He doesn't announce that he has leprosy, which he was commanded to do in Leviticus, the Old Testament. He falls to Jesus and he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And it says that Jesus sees him and he's moved with compassion. Compassion. It's this Greek word that means that your insides are twisted. Jesus, the son of God, the, the embodiment of the creator of the universe is filled with such emotion that the foundations of earth shake and twist within him as he sees his brother in pain move with compassion. He doesn't just say the word. He reaches down and touches the man, fearing contamination, and says, I am willing, be cleansed. Jesus touches the untouchables. He remembers those who are forgotten and isolated in community and invites them into wholeness. But more than that, Jesus reveals that God is compassion. You see, the problem with us is we've made Jesus in our own image. <clears throat> and what Jesus tends to do is he comes to people where they are, where the tired and the weary, he says, I will be your rest. For the anxious, he says, I will be your peace. Don't worry. For those filled with fear, he says, I will, give you, I will be your courage. Over and over again, Jesus meets people where they are and brings them new life where they are as they are. This is connected to what we're invited to as followers of Jesus, to experience this for ourselves. And the problem with Jesus is that it got him into trouble with the religious folks. They, they hated him because of it, because of the God he was revealing. They, they questioned the type of God. They questioned the type of way of life. And they didn't get it. And so he would tell these stories to reveal, hey, so we won't forget who God is and what he's like. He would tell story after story, experience after experience to make sure we never forget. Yet somehow we still think God is that disappointed father, don't we? But he tells this one story. And if there's any story I want you to walk away from knowing about God, it's this story. It's, it's this, it's, he tells a story about what God's like. And he says this, he says, God is like a father who has two sons. And the younger son says to me, I wish you were dead. You're nothing to me. All you are to me is my inheritance. Give me my inheritance and let me be. And the, the crazy thing is, is the father does that. Jesus says that he sells part of his land, gives the younger son his inheritance, and the son takes off and he squanders the money on booze, on alcohol, on women, and, and, and squanders the money till he reaches a point of desperation, of poverty, where he loses it all. He disgraces the family, he disgraces his father. And in, a, in the bright darkness of faith, when the boy is desperate, realizing he's come to the end of his rope, he remembers that the slaves and the servants in his father's house have enough to go around. And he thinks to himself, I know I'll go back to my father's house and beg to be a slave. And so he begins that long journey home. And Jesus says, while he was walking home, he rehearses in his head this speech. He thinks to himself, Father, I've, I've sinned against you. I'm no, no longer worthy to be called your son. Uh, let, me, let me be a servant, a slave. Let me pay you back all the wrong, all the disgrace, all the shame I brought to you. Let me pay it back. And then it says in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, one of the most profound passages of scripture. While the son was a far way off, the father saw him, was filled with co compassion and ran towards his son. The image you have 
of what God is like is a father running after his child. You see, he sees his boy from afar. In the first century, men never ran. It was a disgrace. You never picked up your, your outfit and showed your ankles or your skinny jeans or whatever. He takes off running. And then it says in the scriptures that he grabs his son and the son begins to, to spit out the rehearsed speech. I'm unworthy to be your son. I'm not, I'm not good enough. And the father interrupts him, wraps his arms around him and kisses his face. And he says, my boy, my boy. He puts a robe around him, signifying that he's part of the family. Puts a ring on his finger saying that all has been forgiven. And he says, look, let's throw a party. My boy who was once lost has now been found. My son who was once dead is alive again. And if you ever doubt or question what God is like, this is the story that Jesus leaves. This is the one that you will never doubt again what God is like. He's a running father. All you have to do is turn back to him and he will welcome you in his arms. He will ambush you with love and he will kiss your face saying, my boy, my girl, welcome home. Is that good news? And ultimately, Jesus goes to the cross. Just great. My, my iPad's working now. What do you know? Thanks a lot. He goes to the cross as the ultimate demonstration of God's love and what life is supposed to look like. He takes on all the sin, all of the shame, all the judgment and wrath, all the injustices in the world so that you can have relationship with him. He does it for you. Jesus came to give you life before death. So here and now you can experience all that God intended for you to experience and continue to experience that into the new age. Jesus is far more compassionate, loving, and beautiful. He wants to be in relationship with you. In every encounter in the scripture, he reveals more and more of what God is like, more and more of what he wants for your life. Transformation and hope. I'm gonna answer the question, what is Easter all about in just a moment? But I've had an encounter with Jesus and it's changed my life. Some of you have had an encounter with Jesus and it's changed your life. And we've seen that God takes the things that are broken and dead and brings new life and resurrection here and now. And I want to invite my friend Chris Jenkins to courageously come up here and share his experience over the last year. He is not a fan of public speaking. So will you give him an amazing round of applause as you welcome. <laughs> All right, dude. I love public speaking. What are you talking about? Talk a little louder. Let's go right here. Okay. It's just me and you. Don't just ignore them. Come closer. Come here. I already saw him. It's too late. All right. Put it right here. Okay, okay. you good? Yeah. This is Chris. And a little over a year ago, right, you came to me. A year and a half. A year and a half yeah. it, in a, a state of brokenness and pain. Um, I want you to just tell us what was life like before you came to church and met Jesus and all that stuff. Um, up to that point, I had lived a pretty small life. I looked for comfort everywhere. I didn't want to risk anything. Um, I didn't have any close relationships. I didn't let people in, let people know me. I had a lot of fear, anxiety, um, just self-doubt, really. And also, through my whole life, I was struggling with sexual addiction, and that brought in a lot of shame that compounded that, like, self-doubt and stuff. So you, I remember you saying you're full of anxiety, didn't have great relationships at the time, struggling yeah. in your relationship with your wife. Yeah, so the the anxiety, it was my whole life, but it was like a small amount. But then I, right before I came and met with you, it was like 
diagnosed severe anxiety and depression and I felt like I was going insane. I felt I was going to end up in a like mental institution or just die. I felt like my life was over really. I was in and out of hospitals just thinking that something was wrong with me, wanting the doctors to cure me, but it was really just emotional turmoil, I think. And then what happened? You came and we talked, but what happened from there? Um before that, I this sexual addiction continued into my marriage without my wife's knowledge and no, I had never told a single person about it. And one night I just woke up with crazy burning in my head. And I just knew that I needed to tell my wife then. It was either like die from this or tell her and have a chance to live with mm -hmm. her. And so I confessed it to her and she just hugged me and like just met me with love instantly. And that's my first experience with Jesus is just that mm. forgiveness when it shouldn't be there. Mm. And then I came, she got a hold of you because it didn't get better from there. It actually got a lot worse. Mm. I just got really depressed. I lost all hope. Um, any joy that I got from anything was just gone. I, I lost all feeling of love for my daughter and my wife. And it was just the hardest times in my life. Yeah. Mm. What happened next? I uh, met with you, just completely broken, crying, a mess. Um, yeah, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> and you just were like, okay, like, <laughs> let's pray about it. <laughs> and I was cool. Like, I told you everything. I was met with love once again. Mm. Um, you said a lot of stuff I wasn't in the right mind to hear. Mm. Um, but you said you need to get in community and you need... He told me to attend this thing called Alpha, which is a great course for people like who have questions about the faith. If I attended that and yeah. had a good experience there. And yeah, I just jumped headfirst into community after that. And I now um, see Jesus in people, really. I see it in the love they meet me with. Um, like how you were saying, they've portrayed the church wrong and I've just seen what Jesus actually is through people and the love they're meeting me with. So good. Well, so you met Jesus. Talk to me about that. You met Jesus. You were, became a Christian. Yeah. And then what has life been like since? So it's still a struggle, but it's a better struggle because Jesus gives me peace. And um, I met him over the whole course of this thing. It wasn't like a revelation or anything like that, but he's just setting me through free through the anxiety and the depression helping me confess the shame that i've had in this thing and mm -hmm. breaking that barrier down and that shame i believe is what kept me from having relationships my whole life and having a relationship with jesus and yeah it's just shame is a dangerous thing so what you've experienced was just to resummarize what you're saying okay. you experienced i experienced death I accepted Jesus, and now I experience life. I've <laughs> okay, all right, I'm done. <laughs> no, um, things that I used to hate, I now love. I used to avoid relationship at all cost, um, and now it's what's most important to me in life. I just have relationships with people that I love now, and my relationship with my wife is really hard because we have to 
deal with each other now instead of like retreating and but it's good and we're growing and the love is growing and my daughter's everything she's actually what flipped all this upside down just having her in my life and realizing I didn't know how to connect with people mm. really is what made me mm. realize I needed to do something great so what would you say to, to your friends here if you could say one thing about Jesus and what you would want for them what would it would be I would say I'll put it on the spot I didn't ask you okay. this <laughs> um, well what I was thinking is in my moment of like rock bottom I went to that vending machine Jesus put in the quarters and he was there so if you need Jesus just go to him and he's there um, if you're struggling with anything with shame with doubt with anything just let someone in because as soon as I let someone in that addiction was gone yeah. I still struggle with like small things but it was just broken mm -hmm. at that moment so and I don't know how I've struggled with it my whole life I've tried to stop my whole life and it's just gone and I'm standing up this is my first Easter service I've ever attended and Darren's making me like talk on stage so <laughs> thank you bud yeah thank you um, thank you that's all I need dude okay what do you guys think good man it says in scripture that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of revelation. You see, a spirit of prophecy, excuse me. Jesus, this, this, Chris's story, it's been amazing to watch him over the last year experience Jesus in his life. And this is what he comes to do. This is what Easter is about. It's about Jesus is no longer in the tomb. He's raised from the dead. We now have work to do. Jesus comes to resurrect the dead things in our lives, to transform the broken pieces of our lives, to bring into wholeness so that we could experience what he promises, fullness, abundance, meaning, nourishment, life. This is what he invites and this is what he wants for everyone. So the resurrection is God's ultimate victory. Jesus is risen, therefore the world's redeemed. Jesus is risen. You have a hope for transformation. Jesus is risen, therefore there is new life. He comes to heal. He comes to bring life before death. That's all I have for you today. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.